If there are any children in here who need to go back, Miss Becky's going to be in the atrium there to, to meet you. And uh, if they are going out, just to let you know, we got a few things coming up here in the next few weeks. And so next weekend, today's our last message for our exhausted series. Next weekend, we have the privilege of having Jeremiah Mikeytuk. That's how you say that. Uh, he just came on staff as our pastoral intern. Isn't that pretty amazing? Uh, he came on staff as our pastoral intern. He's going to get his ministry degree, which is pretty amazing. And so one part of his internship is that he's going to uh, preach for us. But Jeremiah can't get up and going for Sunday mornings. And so we're going to record that this week. And so at all of our campuses, we're going to get to hear Jeremiah preach next Sunday. You're not going to want to miss this. The message is titled, God Digs the Disabled. All right? And so you're not going to want to miss next Sunday just to hear Jeremiah preach for us. Uh, God, he is brilliant, just to let you know. He's brilliant, and he is so smart, and I am so excited to see what, what God does there. So that's next weekend, and then the week after, we're starting a new message series called Gentle and Lowly, and uh, that's based on a book, that, and it's just going to be awesome. You're not going to want to miss it. Also, what's happening coming up is our Valentine's Lunch for our Widows is happening this year. We weren't able to do it last year because of reasons. And so we are going to bring this back. So any widow out there today, if you are a widow, on February 16th, we'd love to treat you to lunch at the CIC, and uh, we'd love to do that for you. There are invitations at the Welcome Center. All you have to do is register by February 6th at some point. And so you can go ahead and text Valentine, but if texting is not your thing, you can always write it on your Connect card, all right? Um, also, if you know of a widow in your life who could benefit from this, who lives in the Port Clinton, Marblehead area, you go ahead and take an invitation to them as well. They don't have to come to our church. They could just be a widow in the area. We would love to treat them to lunch on February 16th and just love on them, all right? And so those invitations are at the Welcome Center today. So like I said, this is our last week of our message series uh, titled Exhausted, and we've been looking at different ways in which we experience soul exhaustion. And today is kind of like the biggest one that most of us struggle with, and it's the exhaustion of control. It, the exhaustion of control. I see some people smiling out there, and they're like, oh yeah, I've felt that before. I think we've all been there. Uh, exhaustion of control is nothing that is new. In fact, in 1932, Richard Niebuhr, a theologian, wrote the infamous Serenity Prayer. And so why don't we just read that all together this morning, all right? So join with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a beautiful prayer, isn't it? It's a beautiful prayer, and the reason that it's infamous is because it's so prevalent in all of our lives. We want to be in control, don't we? We want to be in control. We struggle to accept the things that we cannot change. We struggle to change in the areas that we absolutely should change. And a lot of times we lack the wisdom and discernment to know the difference between the two. Many of us want to be in charge and call the shots. We want to determine our own outcomes. We want to have the final say on everything and everyone. And let me ask, how is that going for you? 
How is that going for me? We all feel that in our lives, don't we? That sense of, I need control over this situation. And then when we lose control, it's as if life is just going to end itself. Control is something that we all struggle with, but it also is something where you may be thinking, control isn't that bad. Because who doesn't want to be in control of their circumstances today? So some of us have this idea of like, well, I want to be in control. I want to be in control of my circumstances. Is it really all that bad to have that in life, to be in control? But what we have to understand is that control is different than responsibility. Do you you understand the difference there? So as people mature and grow, so like children, as they mature and grow, what do you give them more of? Responsibility. Well, some people will see responsibility as having all the control in some situations or in all situations. And so we have to be very diligent today to really understand the difference between control versus responsibility. Because they are vastly different. One is good for us. It's good to take responsibility. It's good to take initiative But yet, if you always are vying for ultimate control in your life and in your circumstances, that's where the exhaustion can set in. Responsibility is rooted in wisdom and maturity, but control is rooted in fear. If you really think about it, control is rooted in fear. Some of the fears, the fear of rejection. You don't want to be rejected, so you try to take control of the situation. The fear that our children will make bad decisions. This is what I struggle with the most. I have five kids under eight. I don't want them to make bad decisions. So I try to control them, and my seven-year-old really lets me know how much I control her, okay? She is going to be, she's a feisty one. She told me the other day, she said, I can't wait to be a parent so I can be bossy. That's what she said. It's like, What? Oh, the fear that our outer beauty will fade. You think your outer beauty is starting to fade, so you start to take control over certain things. The fear that the market will crash. The fear that my desires and dreams won't come true. Do you see how all of these fears cause us to try to take control of those situations in our lives? You see, when we're ruled by fear, we try to control the process, the outcome, other people, and ultimately, God himself. It's really what we're doing at the end of the day. When we're trying to take complete control, we're trying to take it out of God's hands completely. And when we live in that state of fear, trying to control everything and anyone, that's where that exhaustion truly sets in. And so some of you today are just exhausted because you've been trying to control every situation in life. Well, hopefully today you can feel a sense of freedom through Jesus and through our God. What I want us to understand today is that being in control of everything eventually leads to being out of control. Being in control of everything eventually leads to being out of control. In order to highlight this today, we're going to look at two contrasting stories in the Old Testament. One is focused on the devastating outcomes that come from controlling our own lives and circumstances, and the other shows the freedom that comes when we allow God to control the outcomes 
of our lives. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. It's going to be up there on the screens for you. And so this is the first account we're going to look at is the account of King Saul. King Saul, if you're turning there, it's going to be on the screens for you if you don't have a Bible today. What we need to understand is that at this point in Israel's history, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, Israel had been ruled by judges, okay? Because it was very widely known that Israel's king was God. And so they had all these judges, and then really what, it wasn't going well. And so all of a sudden, Samuel is the last judge we see. And Samuel is kind of the judge, the priest. He's kind of the, overseeing Israel at this moment. But when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of Israel are like, hey, we want a king. We want a king. And Samuel's like, that's not a good choice. And they're like, we don't care. We want a king. We want someone to rule over us, to lead us, to protect us. And so that leads to the idea of choosing Saul as the king of Israel. And that's where we come to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Saul was chosen king by God, which is really interesting. He's like, hey, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. And what a king was he? Look at what 1 Samuel 9, 2 says. It says, His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. He had it all, according to this verse. He had the height, he probably had a tan, and he was handsome. Tall, dark, and handsome. Maybe that's where we got the phrase from. It's King Saul. But do you notice in that verse how it says nothing about his character or his heart? His character or his heart? You see, even though they didn't really care about the person Saul, all they cared about was the external appearance because, you know what? Someone who is head and shoulders above the rest, they're for sure going to be able to protect us. When all the while Israel had a God who was protecting them the whole time. And yet here they are choosing Saul. In chapter 10, they shout, long live the king, with the shout of approval, like, yes, this is our king. This is our leader. Saul was a man, though, where his outward appearance did not match his heart or his character. And any person, and really he was ruled by fear and insecurity, and any person ruled by fear and insecurity is going to have control issues. We know that because some of us may be that person. We are ruled by fear and insecurity, and so we struggle with this idea of of control issues. And in 1 Samuel, we see two ways in which Saul, being in control of everything, led him to be being out of control and how it's the same for us today. And so the first thing we see in the story of Saul is that being in control pushes God out of the picture of our lives. How being in control pushes God out of the picture of our lives. Look at what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. This is Samuel talking. He says, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom must end 
for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We're going to meet that man in a second. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This is pretty harsh words from Samuel to Saul. So why is Samuel saying this? Well, in this chapter, Saul had messed up. You see, they were, about, they were in Gilgal, and they were about to go into war, and Saul had to wait seven days for Samuel to arrive. And you know what they were going to do? Samuel was going to go ahead, and he was going to offer sacrifices to God in worship and praise of God before they went into battle. So Saul was waiting seven days, and, and yet Samuel wasn't there. And all of a sudden, his army was like, hey, Samuel's not coming. This is not a good sign for us, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to leave. And so some of his army started to leave. And so Saul, instead of really trusting God and trusting that Samuel would show up, what did he try to do? He tried to take everything into his own hands. And so he said, hey, bring all the sacrifices to me. I've seen Samuel do this so many times. I can just do it. Then we can go into battle. And that's exactly what happened. He just disregarded everything God had put in place. He disregarded God's leader, Samuel, of God's people. And you know what? He took everything into his own hands. He tried to take control. And what he did at the end of the day is he was pushing God out of the picture of his life. You see, when things start to go awry, we instinctively try to take control instead of trusting in God, don't we? That's our first instinct. Saul's army was leaving. How can we fight without this army? And so he took everything into his own hands and look at the outcome of what's happening. Him trying to be in control led to everything being out of control. And when we try to take control instead of trusting in God, when we take things into our own hands, we take them out of God's and disaster ensues, as John Tyson says. This happened to Saul, and how many times has that happened to you? How many times has that happened to me? Where instinctively, we just want to take control of our own lives, and yet we're just pushing God out of our lives. That's what control is. It's wanting to have complete authority in your life. And when we take this type of control, it's as if we're literally pushing God out of the picture, saying, you know what, thanks, but I'll take it from here. You see, this is vital where we understand the difference between responsibility and control, though. So Saul had a responsibility to lead his people. God put him in that position. He had a responsibility to go into battle and to fight for God's people and to make sure that his army was ready. That's what most likely he was feeling in his heart, was this idea of, I have a responsibility to these people, so I got to do everything I can to make sure that this happens. So his sense of responsibility is what led him into this distrust of pushing God out of the picture of his life. And yet, if he just would have leaned into his responsibility but continued to trust God, I wonder how vastly different everything would have gone. How he said, you know what, people are leaving this, but God has won battles before with less people. You know what, if these people are going to leave and things aren't going well, we still have a God who's behind us. Do you see the difference there? 
where you don't try to take control of the situation. You lean into your responsibility. But what happens when we take control? You know what happens? We push God to the side and we say, listen, thank you, but no thank you. And you take this weight upon you you were never created to take. Do you know that we were never created to have complete control over our lives? Not once. You go to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and what does God do? God provides for them. God sustains them. God is present with them. And yet, they tried to take control of everything, didn't they? And they said, you know what? I could be like God. And so they tried to control their their faith, their destiny. They tried everything, and yet it led to being out of control. We were never meant to take that upon ourselves. What a weight that is to live under, isn't it? And yet we do it from time, time after time. We take that weight upon us that was never meant for us. You see, Saul's control issues led him to push God out of the picture of our lives. The second thing we see in Saul's story is that being in control damages our relationships with others. By the time we get to 1 Samuel 18, Saul's just off the rails. He's been rejected by God twice, and we actually just read another time where God's like, hey, you know what? I already found someone after my own heart. Don't worry about it, okay? So he's just kind of off the rails, and uh, he lives in fear and insecurities. We see him once again trying to take control of the situation, and he put matters into his own hands. We can't read the whole story, but we're just going to read this little part of this story. It says, the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. King David, all right? David and Goliath, that David, okay? David is sitting there playing a lyre as he usually did. Such a cool picture of David because usually we just want to picture him as defeating Goliath, but he's also, he's... He also can play instruments, all right? Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. I just got to pause here. The idea of twice makes no sense to me. Because if I get a javelin hurled at me once, I'm not going to stay in the room. So I don't know why David stayed in the room to have it again a second time. But he did. And so the point of this is that Saul had this whole control issue. God had rejected him. He lived in fear and insecurity. And you know what that did? That brought upon an evil spirit. There's a lot of ideas of what that evil spirit may be. But you know what happens, though? I think it's the evil spirits of of sin, okay? So this idea of you push God out of your life, what are you going to replace it with? Who are you going to replace God with? Usually like jealousy, anger, hate, unforgiveness. The list goes on of just really negative things that we can replace in our life when we push God out of the picture of our life. And so when we push God out, all of a sudden these evil thoughts, these evil intentions come into our hearts. That's what happens in our lives. And that's, that's probably what happened to Saul. And so out of hate, anger, jealousy of this little kid who's, who's playing a liar at this point, I'm just going to pin him to the wall with this javelin. And what he was doing is he was destroying all of his relationships. His control led him to absolutely destroy every relationship he had. 
Saul's son was best friend with David. His family did not like him. His people ended up not liking him. Saul's desire of control led to damages in his relationships to so many people. Many of us look at this and we're like, man, I would never throw a javelin at someone. And hopefully you won't, okay? And if you have a javelin, that's, that's where we need to start, why you even have that, okay? We may not throw a physical javelin, but we do throw things like hate around, don't we? We do throw things like unforgiveness around because you're trying to control an issue and someone else is trying to control the issue and you don't like each other. And something happened and you don't forgive. We do throw anger around a lot do, too, don't we? Those, might not, those aren't physical things, but those are things that can absolutely destroy your relationships, can't they? We feel this in a lot of our relationships. Maybe you do this with your spouse. Maybe there's some issues in your marriage in which you're just throwing these javelins and they're just not going well because you're both trying to control the issue. We've all felt that in our marriages. We've all felt that. Maybe you're feeling that with a coworker or your kids or your friends. All of us in here can think of a time where control issues damages our relationships. All of us can. Being in control eventually leads to being out of control. When we try to take complete control we were never meant to have in our life, it leads to being out of control with God and with others. And you got to really lean into the order there. Notice how it, his relationship with God was kind of destroyed first by his control issues, and then his relationship with others were destroyed. Because at the beginning, everybody liked Saul. He was going to be their savior. He was going to be their hero. And that, that's what happens in our own lives. Because listen, when we push God out of the picture of our life, our vertical relationship is fractured, and that's going to motivate the way we operate and live with others, our horizontal relationship. And so when we really think about this, our vertical relationship always motivates our horizontal relationship. So if you're struggling with other people today, guess what? Most likely you're struggling with God. Most likely, you may be distant from him. Most likely, you're not praying as much as you should. Most likely, you're not reading as much as you should. Most likely, you're not talking with people who are going to keep you accountable like you should. Do you see how that happens? And so it's not everybody else's fault. Usually, it kind of comes back on us and like, man, how close am I to God today? Because our vertical relationship always motivates our horizontal relationships, just like Saul. He pushed God out, and guess what? That damaged his relationships in his life. You see, control issues lead us to being out of control of our own lives. That's Saul. Saul's life shows the devastating outcomes that come with control issues. But Daniel chapter 3, we see the freedom when we give God the control. And so if you want to turn to David, Daniel, you can. It's going to be on the screens, but I will have to say there's a typo up there. It's Daniel 3, all right, not Daniel 6. And so just, just disregard that, all right? Daniel chapter 3 is where we find the story of three teenagers. We kind of met them a few weeks ago. And in Daniel 3, 11 and 12, right after King Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree 
to all the people that they need to bow down, look at what these three teenagers do because they worship Israel's true God. It says, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of your province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. So this is someone reporting to Nebuchadnezzar. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have put up. Maybe you've heard this story in Sunday school before in your life. Because they won't bow down to the king and serve his God, the king is just super mad, and they're going to be thrown into this fire that he just is like, get it hotter, guys, get it hotter, get it hotter. But look how these three young men respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That right there in its own statement, when we're trying to take control, what do we usually try to do? defend our intentions and actions, don't we? Oh my word, we need to get over ourselves. We don't need to defend ourselves, especially if we're continuing to trust in God and give him control in our life. I digress. If, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, confidence in God, giving God the control, giving God ultimate control of the situation. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Look at the response of faith that is. And I know we talk about this a lot and we bring up these people and we're like, man, I don't know if I could ever have that type of faith. But I'm telling you, we absolutely can. And it's in this passage we see how to break our control issues. And it's in two very, very little words that you may have just kind of skipped over. Even if. The words, even if. Most of us live our lives saying the phrase, what if don't we? Well, what if this happens? Or what if they do this? Or, I mean, the list goes on of all the examples I could say. My oldest daughter lives this way, and we have to constantly remind her you can't lean into the what ifs, because for her, that leads into so much anxiety and fear in her life. And we, we're trying to train her to not say that phrase because it can cause you so much devastation. These guys could have said, you know what? Guys, what if he actually is going to do what he says he does? What if he actually throws us into the fire? What if we get close and we just die? What if? If they kept saying what if, that probably would have changed their decision in the matter, right? That probably would have said, you know what, what if this happened? I'm going to take control of the situation, and we'll just go ahead and bow down so we keep our lives. But they didn't do that. They said the word, even if. We can and need to do the same in our lives. We need to be people who replace what ifs with even ifs. What ifs with even ifs. What if I am rejected can turn into, even if I'm rejected, I will remember God will never reject me. 
What if I lose my job can be replaced with, even if I lose my job, I will trust that God will provide in the meantime. What if my kids make bad decisions, this is what I live with, can be replaced with, even if my kids make bad decisions, I will entrust them to God who cares and loves them more than even I do. Many of us live with a what-if mentality, which leads to anxiety, which leads to control issues, trying to take control of everything in our lives. But when we live by faith, that what-if changes to an even-if. Even if this happens, I will trust God. Saul could have said, even if my army leads and I have to go into battle by myself, I'm going to trust God. Do you see the difference there? Do you see how control issues can lead to just being out of control, but yet when we lean into God and we just kind of give him everything, all the control, it can change the way we live. You see, when we try to control our lives like Saul, we will live in a state of exhaustion where our relationship with God is fractured and our relationships with others struggle. Okay? When you live in this situation, your relationship with God will be fractured and your relationship with others will struggle. We've all felt that. So because we've all felt that, we need to lean into what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and we need to make sure that we give God complete control while we live out our responsibility. They had a responsibility to stay faithful to God. That's what they felt in the moment. They knew it was their responsibility to stand up to who God was, to stand up for what God's purposes were for his people. And they did that. And they were able to say, this is our responsibility. We're going to give it over to God, and he's going to remain in control. You know what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you don't know the story? They go into the furnace. And if you know the story, you should go read it in Daniel, by the way, if you don't know it. They go into the furnace, and you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing. They don't die. Someone else dies just by getting close to the fire. They walk in there, and then people are looking in there, and they see four people. Because God was there. And they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke, which we've all felt that at a campfire before. You can't escape that around fire. They don't even smell like smoke. Even if God doesn't rescue us, that didn't happen. God did rescue them. God did work in their situation because they gave God complete control. They did their responsibility, but they gave God complete control. And when we do that, our relationship with God will thrive and our relationship with others will flourish. See the difference? So, the question is, is how are you going to live? Maybe there's some control issues you need to repent of and give God back that control. And say, you know what, God? Even if my desired outcome doesn't happen, I'm going to trust in you. Maybe you need to repent and lean into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. When we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, the exhaustions fade because 
He's the one that's bearing them. And we get to live in the freedom of faith. So how are you going to live? You have to answer that for yourself. Let's end today by just saying the serenity prayer all together again this morning. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And I hope you have a wonderful Sunday, and I cannot wait to see you back here next week. You're dismissed.